Well, I'll tell you one thing I did when I was a teacher and it's definitely encouraged my department and that is home visits. Um, we've seen just the wealth that, and the value that that brings when you step onto a family's home territory to get to know the families and students better, to understand what the, probably they're bringing that you would not have known if you did not meet their family, um, who they're living with. and. They're so welcoming and so gracious, and they were always so encouraging to, um, to have us come into their homes. And that opened up two-way communication in a way that a, a phone call or a text message could never have done. Um, so I would definitely encourage that as a department to, to not shy away from home visits. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How can newcomer academies help immigrant students get off to a good start on their academic journeys? Why is community and family engagement so important and how can educators implement strategies that work? How do we go about streamlining EL programs while also mitigating concerns around change management? We discuss these questions and much more in the first in a series of episodes featuring Elevation Educators of the Month, an award program we kicked off in October of 2019 to recognize and celebrate educators who go above and beyond in supporting the needs of their multilingual students. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Janine Delahunty of Boone County Schools in Kentucky. Janine was nominated by her colleague Kathy Hammonds, who is also featured in this episode. Dr. Janine Delahunty is the Director of Language Learners at Boone County Schools in Kentucky. Janine has been working in education for 18 years and is still as passionate about serving the needs of students as she was on day one. Being born and raised in South Africa lends a unique perspective to her life and educational career. She is dedicated to equity in education and addressing differences, not barriers. Active on Twitter at at Janine E.D., that's at G-E-N-I-E-N-E-D, to connect with other educators and community leaders, Janine is always eager to learn. Janine and her husband adopted four boys from Taiwan at ages 7, 10, 12, and 13. When not at work, Janine can be found on her 15-acre mini farm with ducks, chickens, dogs, and her bearded dragon. Janine was nominated for Elevation's Educator of the Month by Kathy Hammonds, who started her teaching career near her hometown and taught kindergarten, first, and second grade. While working there, she attended Union College, where she received her master's degree in elementary education. After a few years, she moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, where she taught third and fourth grades, as well as serving as a literary specialist and interventionalist. This is where her passion for working with English learners started and grew. She returned to Kentucky to work as a classroom teacher in Boone County, where she now works as an English as a second language teacher in her building. She enjoys working with teachers every day as a team to support the learning of all students. Her team also works closely with their families and community. 
Before we get started with our conversation with Janine and Kathy, just a quick reminder that you can stay connected with us by joining our ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. There you can leave comments about this episode and others. You can also engage with great content like our short video series, blog posts, and articles. Finally, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us continue bringing you the best topics and guests on Highest Aspirations. As always, thanks for listening. Here's our conversation with Dr. Janine Delahunty and Kathy Hammonds, two inspirational educators from Boone County Schools in Kentucky. Janine Delahunty and Kathy Hammonds, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations and congratulations on the wonderful nomination, Kathy, which was beautiful to read and the recognition for Educator of the Month for you, Janine. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And you're our first um, sort of Educator of the Month group to come on. We're going to do a whole series of these, but we're excited to start with you. Um, And so I like to start these off with the stuff that we read in the nomination because the nominations that the nominators are writing are really, really beautiful. And Kathy, one thing that resonated um, to me about your nomination and to the rest of the team that was reading it as well is this quote. You said, Janine is smart, diligent, and fearless. And I really like that fearless part. Um, So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about why you chose that word and how you think it applies to a good EL educator. Um, Absolutely. I I chose that word uh, specifically for Janine because she is fearless. And uh, what I mean by that is when she goes in and is advocating for something, um, she's doing it because she knows she, what she's doing is right. Um, she has her, you know, her doctorate degree. She had students, uh, you know, of her own that were in our um, school district going to school, second language learners, and she saw what needed to be done. Uh, she's been a teacher in public education for a long time. So she had the, the research and the knowledge and the experience to kind of back up what she was going in and asking for in our district. And, you know, these were pretty big, significant changes. And uh, what she does is she never comes in and says, this is what you need to do. You know, she says, this is what needs to be done. And, you know, I'm here to get the hard work done. And this is what we need to do. And it's the same for us as educators. You know, we can't go in and say, this is what you need to do, what you need to do. It's what we need to do because we are being the voices for those students or families who haven't really found their voice yet. You know, we have to be the one to kind of take those chances for them and to speak up and ask questions and uh, be those professionals and continue to learn and to go out and to help those other people and not be afraid because they might be afraid to ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And one of the things that I think is great about how you answered that question is, you know, that that word fearless can be, if you're fearless, but you don't have the experience uh, or or the knowledge to back it up and to make hard decisions, that can be a little um, reckless. But coupled with the experience that Janine has and the passion as well, it seems, um, that's a really, really good quality uh, to have. And I thought that that was interesting. Thank you for answering that question. I just love that word, fearless. Thank you. You're welcome. And so Janine, I don't know if this goes into the fearless category, but one of the, you can tell me whether it is or not, but one of the great things that, that, um, that I read about and that I know you did in your district was to start a newcomer academy. And this is something that folks are 
it's it's not a problem. It's a challenge that folks are trying to figure out. Um, you know how they work with their newcomers, how they make sure that those those students have access to the education that everyone else has. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about starting that newcomer academy. I'm curious about how, how where did the idea come from? How did you conceive it? And then um, how did you implement it? I know that's kind of a big question, but you can give us like the, the general, that'd be great. Sure. Yes. So I think it does fall in the category of fearless just a little bit because I started talking about it before I even was in the position to make it happen. I saw it as a need when I was a teacher, just the influx of newcomers that we seem to have over the years. It was a definite growing population. We're the third largest district in Kentucky, and we've seen other districts um, and how they've managed with this population was to create a newcomer academy because of the specific need. So I started talking about this at the district level, um, kind of just putting it out there, having feelers for it, knowing that I was going to be adopting newcomers and saying, okay, where are my kids gonna go? This is now a personal need. And then when I reached the district level, I finally had uh, a different set of ears listening to me to say, uh, let's be proactive. Let's not wait for enough students to enroll that it does become more of a challenge and a, a, a burden. Uh, let's get in front of this problem, um, this challenge that we have, and make sure that we are reacting appropriately to our community. So we did start as a pilot with our high school group. Um, we are now in the third year with our high school group, and this year we piloted the middle school classes and we hope to grow that next year. Um, we still have a, another specific need to grow a SLIFE classroom that is mm -hmm. for students with limited or interrupted formal education. Those seem to be the, the biggest growing number of, of newcomers coming in now. Um, but so would that be a sub, sorry to interrupt, would that be a subsection of the Newcomer Academy or is that, you look at that as a whole other um, sort of academy or uh, initiative? Yeah, right now they're a subsection. They're included within the newcomer programs that we currently have, but I, I see it as a separate mm -hmm. uh, section just because the needs are so different. And then we can, um, even in a multi-age classroom, accommodate students who are entering, you know, as 17-year-olds with no high school credits. So we definitely have unique, um, unique opportunities to meet the, the needs of those students. Right. Yeah. And I love it how, you know, you saw that need as a teacher. And then you said, you know, when you became sort of an administrator or someone who had, a, as you said, a different set of ears, you were able to sort of leverage that experience that you had and get in front of the problem and be proactive, which to me is one of those things that can be really hard to do um, in education, just coming from my own experience as a classroom teacher. Um, and I never sort of transitioned into that administrative role, but it's nice to hear that, um, that your experience as a teacher um, allowed you to make that important change and start such an important thing in the district. And so you said that's in the third year now? It is. It was just one of those innovations that I said, we just have to keep talking about it. <laughs> Somebody will pay attention to it at, at some level soon. Um, yes. Third year for the high school. Yeah, that's great. That's, you know, that, that's a whole issue that we could spend an entire hour, if not more on for a podcast. We are going to move on, but that's a, that's, that's an amazing thing that you did and congratulations. And I hope that that works out in the elementary school as well. And for the SLIFE yes, um, population. So Kathy, like getting, getting back to the, the nomination, another thing that you mentioned is that Janine has really streamlined um, your processes. And that to me um, is something that, you know, both in my experience as an educator and here at Elevation, working with a lot of different school districts, um, that's extremely valuable. Um, 
but when we hear the word streamlined, you know, we often think of, well, you know, sort of somebody comes in and, and puts processes together and it's streamlined at various different levels. But I'm curious about uh, if you could elaborate on on how that has allowed you and your colleagues to do your job more efficiently as um, as EL teachers. Absolutely, because you know, um, having that streamlined piece like you were talking about, it kind of helps what we're doing and how we're doing things not be a secret. So yeah. the fact that our attendance clerk understands how important her role is. So then there's not mistakes on the front end when we're getting enrollment and getting information or, you know, our teachers and as EL as well as regular classroom teachers, we're all kind of on the same page. So with that happening, I get to actually spend more time creating lessons, being in classrooms, uh, working with students, doing that professional development for teachers versus digging for information that's missing all the time. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead, sorry. Well, and I was just going to say, and then it also allows our, our, anyone in our school district, as, you know, as they go up, to have real-time information. So if, you know, our populations are changing and there's always shifting and there's people are writing grants and doing different things, but as having um, elevation, you know, and having this digital platform as well as a way to make sure that information is in there, anybody can see it and and know what's going on in our district and kind of to know what's coming and look at those trends and be able to be prepared for what's happening. Right. And it sounds like Janine and I'm sure others as well have done a really great job of not only sort of adopting a tool in this case, elevation, but, um, but streamlining it to your particular needs so that people have access to the information that they need. And you mentioned like the, the attendance clerk, which is somebody who has like a really important job. And, and I love it how you mentioned that, you know, you're, I forget how you said it, but you're not sort of working inside. I, people, other people can see what it's you're not doing. A secret. Yeah, exactly. It's not <laughs> and that's so important. Um, and, and then, and then the other thing that you mentioned is, you know, oftentimes uh, we hear the word compliance or like data management or even like a word like streamline. And you start to think, well, like how important is that to actually you know, getting your day-to-day job done. But it's so important because like you said, and I'd love to hear your reaction to this, it has freed up time for you to do other things. Are you finding that, um, you know, one of the things that we're hearing about quite a bit, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but is, you know, just working with content teachers who are now um, mm-hmm. new to having lots of English learners. Are you finding that that streamlined process is helping you spend more time with those content teachers who maybe need a extra, little extra help? Absolutely. Because then when we have our planning times, I'm not in uh, actual, you know, QM folders with physical paper. I'm able to, with a click of a button, go in and say, okay, hey, here's the test scores. Let's look at this trend over time and just bring all of that information up in real time with them. And then we can look at our accelerated reader scores and other data and stuff in there too. So we're kind of looking at the whole picture, not just an access score, not just state testing, not just other things too. Then we can talk about what's going on in the classroom but the teachers can log in and look at that at any time. You know, they have elevation accounts mm-hmm. too. So if they're having a question about, well, is this student progressing like I think they should, um, they can you know, click on there really fast, be able to look and see when the student enrolled because they may be new to our school mm-hmm. you know, and their information has just come in. So absolutely, it has given me a much better opportunity to be with my teachers physically, helping them be in their classrooms all of the time. And 
to allow me time to make more and more hands-on things for our students to use. Because, you know, every year is different. The mm -hmm. students you had in second grade last year are not the students that you're going to have next year. And the levels that they have for where they are with their listening, speaking, reading, writing, there's no, nothing that you can keep and use over and over again. So it's really helped me be able to do that. This year, I'm at a new school. Last year, I was at a different elementary school in our um, district. And just having this platform and stuff too allowed me to walk into a building and be educated on what was going on with all 60 of my students. Right. You know, without me having to dig through the paperwork or wonder if the other teacher left something or didn't leave something, I could go on and be able to look at all of my students and have that information before I ever even walked in the door in August. Sure. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, all that all makes me really, really happy as someone who, you know, who, who works here at Elevation. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that it's great to have that tool. It's great to have that software, but like any software, or like any tool, no matter how good it is, you know, it takes a team or a person or champion to make sure that it's rolled out in the right way in a district setting that is constantly changing. Um, and so, you know, you all have clearly, just based on what you just said, Kathy, you all, and I'm sure Janine played a big part of this, sort of cracked the code and being able to use it, um, and I'm sure other tools in the right way. So that's great. Yeah, everybody knows their part's important. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's, uh, that's something that others could learn from, for sure, so that's great. Um, you know, the other thing that, that was brought up uh, in this nomination, Janine, was, was the idea of you being out working in the community, which I know, based on our sort of limited communication and what I read from the nomination, um, is important for you. And, you know, we've done a lot of podcast episodes and uh, blog posts and lots of other things on community and family engagement. We know it's critically important, but not every school and not every district um, is effectively implementing strategies to support these initiatives. I know as a teacher myself, it wasn't something that I sort of sought out. Um, I, I don't feel good about that, but I also wasn't given a lot of support or um, motivation to really do those things. And it's one thing that I look back on my sort of 17 years of teaching and think I could have done better. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious at, from my perspective, um, as sort of someone who laments not having done that as much, what could you tell us um, about something that you do in this area of, of family community engagement that has been particularly effective for you and maybe that is replicable um, to other people listening to this podcast? Well, I'll tell you one thing I did when I was a teacher, and I definitely encouraged my department, and that is home visits. Um, we've seen just the wealth that, and the value that that brings when you step onto a family's home territory to get to know the families and students better, to understand what the, probably they're bringing that you would not have known if you did not meet their family, mm -hmm. um, who they're living with. and they're so welcoming and so gracious and they were always so encouraging to, um, to have us come into their homes. And that opened up two-way communication in a way that a, a phone call or a text message could never have done. Um, so I would definitely encourage that as a department to, to not shy away from home visits. Um, but this year as an administrator, what we're doing is targeting our population that is our highest growing population of students and that is our Congolese students coming from the Congo, French speaking, they've um, surpassed our other largest, a second largest population of language this year, which was Japanese um, mm -hmm. and Arabic. And we've decided to hold community meetings 
um, on a monthly basis with parents or family members that would like to come. And so they're coming into different schools uh, as a venue on Saturdays, which is their best time to meet and discussing things like, you know, what are school expectations? What are our school safety plans? What does discipline look like in the school? This past Saturday we met and we talked about um, the access testing that we just did, our state testing and what that means and when we get the results to those. And then we asked them what their needs are. And so every month we try and respond to their needs by bringing back to the table things that they've asked for, for example, um, translated documents for preschool registration or translated uh, code of conduct. Um, so we're trying to address the needs of our biggest growing population now, knowing that more are coming and that we welcome them and that we want, they have a very specific cultural need versus other populations. Um, we have invested in other populations over the years and we tend to do that on the school level, but this is our first attempt at a district-wide community level and it's so far it's going extremely well. Great. Yeah, being able to find out who those folks are first <clears throat> to pull that data and then um, doing something about it. I think that's great. You know, the, the idea of, um, you mentioned a, a couple things that I think are great. Like, I, I feel like obviously the access scores are a key thing that that is a great topic for you because you you know that they need to know about that and they're probably interested in that. But then just asking folks what they need um, in a venue like that, I think is 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 crucially important. I have one follow-up about home visits. Um, I, I've, I've done, I know I've seen the research on that. I've done some work with um, a few years ago with Karen Mapp at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Mm -hmm. um, helped her with build an online course, which was an amazing experience, especially as someone who did not do a lot of family engagement, admittedly so when I was teaching, it was like an eye opener for me. And home visits were a huge part of it. And I hear about it a lot. My, I guess my question is, you know, how, how do you, there, there, I think there's two pieces here. One, how do you go about convincing teachers who maybe like, nervous or even afraid or anxious about visiting someone's family that this is a good thing to do. That's number one. And the second part of it is how do you find the time? Um, how have you all gone about doing that? I'm putting you on the spot with a follow-up question, but I'm just really no, curious. Sure. About that. I know there are some elementary schools um, and even middle schools who do this at a very um, non-threatening level uh, through the summer before school starts, they do something called a porch pop-in. And that's just to let the family know who the teacher is going to be for the next year. Um, Kathy, and I think your school might do these also. Just a way to say, hey, I'm your teacher. Here's a packet. Here's an introduction. It's very non-threatening for the teacher. You don't physically go into the home. And the excitement for the child knowing, hey, I'm going to get the special visits. These, these teachers are going to arrive and they're going to show me who they are. Yeah. Um, that way, teachers get to see the impact that they have on that family just with a simple introduction, that excitement that that child brings back to the classroom and that the family said, wow, you took the time to just come by and say hi and to Absolutely. see where we are. That's a great first step. Um, if you go through the actual partnership with the homeschool project and get the funding, then, of course, that can release you to have the time to go out and do home visits as a, as a school or as a grade level. Um, EL teachers and other specialists have a little bit of flexibility in their schedules that our home visits are more critical based on needs. So, you know, a student hasn't been in school for a couple of weeks and we don't know why, we definitely need to go out and see what's going on. Um, so we have the flexibility in our schedule to do that. But for classroom teachers, it's worked really well before school has started or on a PD or release day where they could go back out into the community. 
Great. Yeah. Thanks for that. Because that's, you know, it's one of those things that everybody thinks is great. You know, nobody's going to say that's a bad idea, but there's some tension there in terms of how you go about doing it. I think you just gave us a couple ideas that we can think about. And I know for a fact, there are a lot of people out there who aren't considering both things that you just mentioned, not because they don't want to, but just because, you know, of time and everything else. And, but I think the research now is out and showing how valuable it is. And anecdotally, I think as soon as you walk into someone's home, um, (laughs) <laughs> you, you, you must have just immediately feel like, wow, this, this is 100% the right thing to do. Great. So, Kathy, going back to this possibly uh, idea about, uh, about being fearless, one other thing that you mentioned uh, is the idea of change. And I'm going to quote you again from this nomination. <laughs> um, and there was a lot there, by the way, if anybody's listening, that I'm, I'm not like saying everything in the nomination. There's just some really nice things. So um, I, I just feel like I have to mention some of these. So one thing you said um, is, and I remember like I was reading this with a couple people on my team who were reviewing the nomination. So we were all kind of nodding our heads. Um, it's that you said change is never easy, usually not popular and takes time. Janine is not afraid to answer tough questions or change policies and practices, even when they are met with resistance. Um, I think this does fit into that fearless category, which seems to be our arc here. But, um, I'm curious if you could give us an example, Kathy, of something that Janine has done that may have been unpopular, um, or, uh, you know, not exciting for a lot of people that yielded positive results? Um, I would probably say for, for mine, the experience that I've had with what I've, I've seen is saying that there really needed to be a, a real overhaul in our overall instruction. And from the bottom up, like from our classroom teachers saying, you know, hey, just because these students are quiet and they're being compliant, they're really not getting the quality education. You know, they're just not having that access Mm -hmm. to the education that they needed to have. And, you know, that's a really hard pill to swallow for any teacher for, you know, for us to hear, you know, you are doing some things, but, you know, we need to do some more. And so Janine has been a real advocate of all of the EL teachers providing professional development for our classroom teachers. And again, you know, standing in front of them and talking with them and people can get really defensive and upset, but letting them know that that, you know, the sheltered instruction and those, you know, research-based strategies are good for all students. Yep. Um, it's not one more thing that you have to do. It's a better way of doing what you were doing anyway. But when you start that conversation it's not, it's not easy, but it really had to be done. And these, these changes really had to be made. You know, our, our staffing had to change up some, our professional development. It was a lot of work for us outside of the school day trying to put things together. And then luckily a lot of our teachers, classroom teachers have committed to coming to those professional developments. And it's really um, started a lot of conversations that I think before maybe I don't think would have happened. I think because our kids are quiet, you know, they, they're not causing any problems and they are just getting by the best they can. That's not what we want for them. Yeah. What a great, you've painted an image in my mind of that kind of um, sort of traditional classroom of everybody sits in their seats and they're quiet and the teacher is the center of attention and they're absorbing information. And I think even now there are probably some places, certainly when I was teaching not so long ago where, you know, if a principal was doing an observation, that is what they were looking for. Um, But I was lucky enough to work in a school district, probably like yours, where 
if my principal or evaluator came into a room and I was standing in front of the classroom and everybody was in a foreign language class, I thought high school Spanish, and everybody was just listening to me, they would know immediately something was wrong. Uh, whereas if it was a little bit of chaos in the room, um, maybe somewhat controlled chaos, people talking with one another, um, they would be able to go in and explore what was happening rather than being like, what are you doing? You have no sort of classroom management skills. So I think that's a really good point. Like you mentioned, you know, sort of being quiet and compliant, which I think for many people is like, it's like, that's the traditional view of what a classroom looks like. Right. But it can't look like that anymore. Mm -mm. No. And Janine, not only, you know, so she talked to the administrators, she talked to us, we talked to the teachers, you know, she had those tough conversations with everybody. And, you know, I'm sure some of the administrators were like, well, things are going okay, but okay isn't good enough. So she really put herself out there and, and worked with all avenues to improve the education across the board. Yeah, that, that is leadership right there for sure. And not all of us are cut out for that. Um, Janine, so uh, one thing I just mentioned uh, that I was a Spanish teacher for a while in world languages. Um, and during that time, I had like no communication uh, with the English learner department. Like there was no collaboration or anything. And I know that, um, according again, according to Kathy's nomination, you took charge uh, or took on being in charge of the world language department as well as being in charge of the Yale program because you saw the importance of, of it too. I'm curious if you all, if those two departments um, in your district collaborate, um, and if so, uh, what kinds of collaborations between those two departments do you think are most effective? Yeah, so that was just, again, one of those things um, where learning language, it doesn't matter what language you're learning, it would make sense we're talk if we're talking about proficiency and some PD that we would go to, that we would get those departments together. Yeah. Um, so the collaboration started just with um, equity of access to PD. I wanted to ensure that both groups had monthly PLCs, that they were coming together, talking and sharing and learning from each other. Um, and from national trends and things that were going on in, in literature, but also access to conferences and to go out and see what other districts, other states were doing. So that's the first way that we started collaborating. Um, and then also just naturally started collaborating together on our international festival that has been built up from a Japanese festival about seven years ago. So that started as a um, two schools that have Japanese in their elementary schools the parents coming together and saying, hey, let's celebrate our culture and our learning, and it turned into a district-wide international festival. And so both departments are able to showcase their learners in unique ways with that. Um, the last way th that we've really collaborated together is uh, the seal of biliteracy that was introduced yeah. last year. And so we got that board approved last year. Both departments are really pushing their students from the world language end to say, okay, you're taking AP Spanish. I know that you can get the, the score that you need. And then the English learner department saying, okay, these guys are getting ready to exit. I know they're literate in their home language. Let's get them tested. So just to celebrate that level of literacy with both departments has been really great. Yeah, so, I mean, all those things are amazing. I love the PD and the, the equity and PD piece. I think that's great. PLC spending time together and just learning from one another. The informal festival, the Japanese festival, now the international festival, bringing both groups in. I think that's amazing. The seal of biliteracy one kind of hits a nerve with me because we've I've talked a lot about the seal of biliteracy on this podcast with a lot of different people. And it's one of those things that uh, 
is getting a lot of interesting press, some good, some bad, some neutral. But what it has done, at least in my opinion, this is just my opinion here, is it has allowed for the kind of thing that you're talking about, which is in a school where there is sort of an AP Spanish language class, which is a course that I taught before we had the seal of biliteracy uh, in my district, in my state, um, and also has an English learner population and students that are exiting and are clearly you know, biliterate, that there's that just equitable access to something that, that you know, it's a seal mm-hmm. of biliteracy that you get when you graduate. Right. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, of, of press out there about asking the question, is it equitable? Um, and like you're a shining example, and I'd love to hear your reaction, your reaction here of it is equitable if you make it equitable and you put it in place in a way that makes sense. Right. We would not have introduced it if we could not guarantee that we were going to cover all languages. Um, this year, for example, we have a student who just reached out to me yesterday and said, I want to test with American Sign Language. What can I do? I said, I will figure out a way. I'll get a certified interpreter and we'll test you. Um, it has to be offered to everybody. And it's such a such a pride, um, rec- you know, great recognition for our mm-hmm. students. And just any other way that we could show value to being multilingual or bilingual, I don't think we see that enough in the media. We don't see that enough in our schools, that the value added that that brings to our community. Um, I wish I had enough time to go out into the community and get more businesses to offer those incentives. I know of one in our district that has a hiring incentive if you're bilingual, but there's so many more opportunities for you if you have that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with everything you said. And I'm, I'm, I'm really like a big proponent of it. I think it's just a matter of how it's implemented. Um, at, really at the district and the school level. And clearly you're doing a great job with this. I'm glad we talked about that. All right. So two more questions. And these questions are really just um, sort of, uh, we try to curate great books and information for folks uh, who listen to the podcast that they can um, look at. And I myself um, am a huge reader. And I think I get like 90% of my books from recommendations from people who come on this podcast. So maybe it's a little selfish. I don't know. But um, the first question is, and I'll start with you, Kathy, um, is there a book or other resource that you'd like to share that's had a profound impact on you either personally or professionally? Um, I would say probably the, the work and books that Eric Jensen has done mm-hmm. on poverty, because it helps you to understand you know, that this, we are teaching the whole child, you know, and just to remember that, you know, yes, academics are important, but if we don't build that solid foundation first with respect and a relationship and, and helping some of these students see hope and, you know, have that positive attitude and and change it to, I can, not, I can't, Mm -hmm. then, you know, we're, we're never going to get where we need to go with them. So I have 20 of my 21 years teaching were in a title one school. So I I just think that's really important to remember some, so many things that happen outside of the school day that comes into the school day. And we have to do the best we can to meet them where they are and understand them and love them and help them grow. Absolutely. Great recommendation. I highly endorse that. Um, Janine. Yeah, a book that's more current. Um, it's called The Newcomers by Helen Thorpe. Yeah. I got to hear her talk about the book and her research and her experience last year with the Women's Cincinnati Club. And it was so powerful. It's such a great read. It reads almost like a fiction book, but it's filled with great learning for any teacher who would encounter an, an English learner. 
and just the experience and the way that she followed the stories of the families and the students. I think it's a fantastic educational read or just fictional read. Not non-fictional, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it reads like fiction. It's an amazing book. And you maybe you heard my excitement when you mentioned it because um one of the one of the most fun podcast episodes I did was actually with Helen Thorpe. Um, oh great. She came on and actually she we were able to fly her to Boston to speak with our entire company about her experience um, writing the book. And I moderated that that uh, that talk. And not only is the book amazing, but she's just a great human being. And um, she's just done great things. And she continues um, to write about issues that are really important. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that book because that's on our list. And if you're interested, you can go back and I'll link to that podcast episode that we did in the show notes for folks to listen to it because that was a fun conversation. Great. Um, Great. So, Jean, how can people learn more about what you're doing in Boone County or in any way um, at all? Um, I do. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. I follow a lot of educators and advocates for EL and World Language. So it's at Janine D on Twitter. Um, I've been negligent on my blog, but I would say that it's got a great couple of years of resources and, and work and stories, just not this past year. So I don't know if I should mention it or not. But Mention it. Okay. So I'm sure it's evergreen if it's a little older, right? <laughs> it's the Well, uh, well Chat at, at Blogspot. I'll give you the link to that. Perfect. And um, definitely uh, Twitter is the new way to get connected and to meet more people that are like-minded. And I follow quite a few EL advocates that are doing phenomenal work right now. Yeah, I'd also put a plug in for Twitter. I've actually been a little bit, um, I'm actually the opposite of you. I've been spending more time on this podcast and sort of blogs and things than I have on my Twitter feed, which I also find uh, highly valuable, but uh, but I'd recommend that as well. And I do follow you and there's lots of great stuff on there. So um, I would recommend you look at that as well. And we'll post all of that information, including the books and all the resources that we mentioned um, on our show notes and on our community webpage, which is elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. Um, so to conclude here, um, I just want to thank both of you, Kathy, I'll start with you, uh, for nominating Janine and for telling me this great story and for, uh, allowing this to happen, allowing us to recognize both Janine and yourself, uh, for the work that you're doing and amplifying your voices. Um, there it's, it's worth mentioning that there were, we were overwhelmed by nominations and, um, I think people can understand why we chose, uh, Janine after listening to this podcast episode. There's so much more we could have talked about, but I think we got to some important things. So Kathy, um, thank you so much for writing that wonderful nomination. People can find it. I'll, I'll link to the, to the nomination page about what you wrote and a little bit about Janine. So thank you, Kathy. You're welcome. Thank you. And Janine, thank you so much um, for all you do. Thank you for uh, working with Kathy, who, <laughs> who wrote you this nomination. And thank you for um, doing the great work that you're doing. We mentioned so many things, family, community engagement, streamlining um, programs, uh, working with content teachers, and I'm sure there's a lot more that we could talk about. So thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. And it's definitely, you know, I'm part of a great team. I couldn't do it without them. So give credit to the people that I work with for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you both uh, and congratulations. And um, we look forward to more collaboration in the future. Sounds Thank great. You. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. 
where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.